Uh, we are still in Mark chapter 1, and we will be considering verses 14 through 20. So six verses, Mark chapter 1, 14 through 20. So how about I, I read the passage out loud for us, I pray, we talk, and we'll go to small group after that. So, all right, starting in verse 14, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you I will Make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this moment, and I thank you for tonight. And Father, I know that, that some of us have had long weeks where we feel just very busy and stressed, and and God, maybe even like we barely made it here to youth group. Uh, but Lord, I thank you that there is grace for that. Um, some of us, Lord, are, are maybe in a rut where it just kind of seems like things aren't really going our way, and and maybe things even seem a little dry with our walk with you. But help us to know that there's grace for that too. And Lord, for those who, who are here and eager and excited to learn, I pray that you continue to pour your grace on them. And so Father, I, just, I thank you that the pressure is off, that Jesus has paid it all. That we can rest in what Jesus has done for us. And I just pray, Lord, that this time of looking in your word would be refreshing and encouraging to us all. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Um, I don't say this to boast or brag or to kind of even joke, but as I really kind of thought about this, um, I kind of really began to see the problems that I have with authority. Because if you know, if you've known me for a long time, um, and I guess three years maybe not be, might not be a long time, but um, my college roommates or the people I went to. Uh, high school with, or my brothers and my cousins and my mom and dad, will all tell you that I struggle with authority. I struggle with authority. And no, I mean, if you were at the beach retreat this last summer, um, when Nathan, the speaker, said he had had a lot of stories, I believe him when he says that, that he, he has a lot of stories to tell about me. But something about from the very earliest age, I don't know why I have this thing, but maybe just part of my sin nature, my, my fallenness, my, some bad experiences maybe, but I'm skeptical of those who are in charge. And, and that, that, that kind of can happen on like a, a larger like, uh, macro chasm, like, you know, I doubt the government and, you know, everything's a conspiracy theory. But then it, it could kind of be the micro, where I look at the bus driver, I look at my history teacher, I look at my youth pastor, and I don't really seem to care much when they tell me to do something, when they give a command. 
It's as if a lot of people, their words don't carry far with me. Um, and I don't, again, like, as I kind of think about that, and I, and I realize maybe, maybe you're like that in, in, in ways at times, I guess I'm, I'm skeptical because I don't really know if they have my good in mind. You know, as a middle child, I'll use that, right? Being told one too many times, do this because I told you, um, made me just very weary of people who were in charge. What makes you get to be in charge? And I was like that classic kid, and someone would tell me something to do. Like, you're not my dad, right? It's like the thing you never want to hear when you're in charge, right? Like, hey, uh, McCain, can you go get those buckets we're going here? You're not my dad. You can't tell me what to do. It's like, dude, just go get the buckets, man. Like, McCain didn't do that. I don't, yeah, he's, I just saw you, so I mentioned you. <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, authority is an important thing for a few reasons. One, authority, um, it kind of tells us who we should listen to, right? So I have little kids, and we, like, do all the talks of, like, so uh, our kids just started the pre-K, and the teacher kind of takes me aside, like, the third morning. Says, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Sure. Um, and she points to one of the twins. She couldn't even tell them apart. She's like, that one. Who's that one? I was like, that's Elena. She's like, Elena's a kisser. And so we got to have some talks about how we can't kiss people at school. It's like, great, man. Day three, you know, here we go. Life with daughters. But we have these talks with our kids. Like, you know, like, you know, the kind of, it seems like um, stereotyping, but it is. Like, we say, like, hey, if a guy at the park said, hey, do you want to come look at my puppy? What do you say? You know? And at first, we're like, yeah, puppies are awesome, you know? Like, you know, like the guy in the van, like, hey, you want some candy, little kid? Like, um, like we have to, like, teach our kids, of, like, who should you listen to, right? Who has authority? And so we say, like, policemen are good, firemen are good. And we always tell them, like, look for another mommy. If you see another mommy, you know, you can trust them. But, and so we, we try to teach our kids from the youngest age, who are the people you can listen to? Who should you obey? Because if... If someone who's younger than me, who has no real authority, begins to tell me to do some really important things, why, why should I listen to them? Right? And so here's the thing. Why should Jesus have any authority over your life? Why should Jesus be someone who tells you how to live your life? Tells you how you should function um, your sexuality. Tells you how you should... Love people who don't always like you. Why should Jesus have the authority to, to say this is right and that is wrong? And that's, a, that's an important question that I think Mark is trying to raise in the gospel here, and especially in these first couple chapters, is that does Jesus have any authority in your life? Again, it comes back to the question that we, we considered a little bit last week. Who is Jesus? Like sometimes, like again, as Christians, we just like zoom right past that. We we kind of just forget, like, who is this Jesus that we'd sing about his life, death, and resurrection? Who is this Jesus who, when he's baptized, a voice comes out from the sky and says, "This is my dearly beloved son." Because if Jesus is just a teacher, if he's just a good guy, if he's just someone who said a good things, I don't think he has much authority. 
And so we're going to look at just a few things tonight. I know my illustration is a, um, a little long at first, but what I would like to do is show that because Jesus has authority for who he is, the Messiah, the beloved Son of God, he has the authority to call you in to a discipleship relationship. Listen, Jesus has much more authority than me. Jesus has much more authority than your parents. Jesus has much more authority than any other person. And we're going to see tonight what exactly he's going to do with that authority. So really quick, if you just look down with me at verse 14 through 15, uh, we're just going to kind of comment a little bit about this, and we're going to spend most of our time Jesus calling his first disciples. So verse 14, now after John was arrested, so John the Baptist is kind of taking the back seat now, Jesus came and he started proclaiming the gospel of God. Interesting. So the good news concerning God. So Jesus now is preaching, is taking over John the Baptist's role as being kind of the people, the, the person people flock to. And what did he say? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So that's kind of an interesting phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so um, just to kind of explain a little bit of a kingdom, so we don't really use the word kingdom anymore. We kind of use the word countries or nations. But if you want to think a little bit more medieval type, you know, um, a kingdom would be kind of like some geographical area uh, ruled by some monarchy, some family probably, and they would have some guild and some, you know, heirlooms and so-and-so, the third, all this different stuff. And so Jesus, though, is, he's representing a kingdom, but it's not a man's kingdom. Whose kingdom is it? Yeah, right? It's God's kingdom, right? So here's the thing. He's saying, guess what, guys? A new kingdom is here. It's not a kingdom that any of you know. And, and other gospels actually refer to as the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus says the king, God's kingdom is now finally being ushered in. And so the, the part of what he meant by that is, guess what? Because God's kingdom is coming, it's at hand, it's here, you need to repent and believe in the gospel. So in essence, this is what's happening. Jesus is saying, with me, with me coming and getting baptized, it is finally here. The time where God's kingdom is going to come and invade this world. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's not some kingdom that some man made up that is going to be inherited through offspring of another man. It's God's kingdom. But guess what? What we know is that when Jesus came here, he inaugurated that kingdom, but it hasn't been consummated. So we talk about as Christians sometimes how the kingdom of God is uh, living in the tension of the now, but the not yet. The already, but the not yet. So Jesus' kingdom is a reality for us today, but when he comes back the second time, He's going to consummate that, that kingdom, and he's going to bring heaven all the way down to earth. So here's the question, though. Why, why do I say all that? How do we enter in to this kingdom? How do we approach the kingdom of God? Well, one, like Jesus says, repent and believe. Trust in this good news. But now Mark is going to kind of give us an object lesson of what that kind of looks like. What does it look like to draw near the kingdom of God? What does it look like to repent and believe in this good news? And this is where we now get a picture of what it looks like to draw near the kingdom of God. So look at verse 16. So passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, 
the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So this is what we're going to see in this passage. Okay, I have two points, two simple things. There are two calls that Jesus gives in this passage. Two calls for all disciples of what does it look like for someone to enter the kingdom of God. What does it look like for someone, listen, to be a Christian? The first one is this. They have a call to follow Jesus. Verse 17, And Jesus said to them, Follow me. Follow me. So, I want to stick to Mark's gospel and not jump to other passages. Kind of when people do that, it's called a harmony. We're gonna, so we look at what other passages say, and we kind of fill in the blanks. So if we did look at other gospel passages, we probably know that for these fishermen, it was not the first time they ever saw Jesus. But for Mark's case, he wants to kind of show that they haven't had much experience with Jesus. So you imagine you're, you're doing your, your job. Now, sometimes people, when they look at this passage, they, they think a little bit too much about the fisherman gig, right? But here's the thing. We only were told that they were fishermen because that was their job. Like, imagine if, um, if Jesus showed up today and he, and he walks up to Lou Nemeth and he says, Lou, follow me and I will make you a coffee roaster of many people, right? Like, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> right? That's great, right? Um, he is taking what they know, what they do, and he's saying, uh, whatever you do, now you're going to do that for me. But listen, when Jesus comes, what does he tell him to follow? He doesn't say, come, hey, you fishermen, come and follow this great movement that I'm about to start. I'm going to change the whole world. Follow my movement. Follow my political party. He doesn't say, come and follow my miracles, and you're going to see a lot of crazy things. It's going to be awesome, so you don't want to miss out, man. Like, you know, before the days of Facebook and social media, like, you know, I'm going to do some crazy stuff. Come, come and see all this stuff. He didn't say that. He didn't say, come and, and follow my, my passion for people. What does he say? Come and follow me. Here's the, here's the idea Jesus is kind of giving. In just those two words, this is what he's saying. It's the idea of Jesus is giving a summons. He's giving an invitation. He's saying, hey, listen, you need to be attached to me. To follow Jesus, guys, listen. To follow Jesus means to accept his authority. Let me say that again. To follow Jesus means to accept his authority and to imitate his example. You know, if you were a common Jewish male back then, um, this would have been very unique. A lot of people think that, that rabbis back in the days, I even heard this illustration once that a rabbi was kind of bent over, and his followers, who were young men, would also bend over, because they're just trying to imitate exactly what they're what their commander was like, what their, what their rabbi was doing. They wanted to imitate him in every way possible. But do you want to know something? No one in that time would, bid him, would have been so bold to walk up to someone and say, hey, I want you to be my disciple. If you wanted to follow a rabbi, you would have to prove yourself and then go and ask, rabbi, can I please be your disciple? 
If you wanted to be someone who had um, an influence or a following, you, you didn't just go and ask people. You had to make yourself influential. You had to build up your own name and your own credit. And then if people saw you as someone to follow, they would come and say, can I be your follower? How does Jesus do it? Walking along, seeing some boats. By the way, fishing was huge in the Sea of Galilee. There have probably been boats everywhere, ports everywhere. Walking along, walking along. Hey, come follow me. What? That's, that's kind of bizarre, right? No Old Testament leader, no king, no prophet, no any other person in the entire Bible have asked a man personally to be his or her follower. Why can Jesus do this? Why can Jesus be like anyone else? Because of his authority. Because of his baptism. Because he is the beloved son of God. Because he's the Messiah. Because let me ask you a question. Do you think the person and the ruler of the universe who's made everything seen and unseen has the authority to call out men? Jesus doesn't give any evidence to his call. He doesn't do any miracles. He doesn't say, hey, let me show you this really quick, and then you can decide for yourself if you want to be my follower. He just walks up boldly and says, follow me. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Because one, he doesn't give a prerequisite to be his follower. Guys, listen, listen, listen. This is good news. You don't have to know anything about the Bible. You don't have to have been at church or youth group for a certain amount of time. You don't have to have verses memorized. You don't have to really know anything to be a follower. There is no prerequisite for anyone to be a follower of Jesus. Do you, do you notice how he doesn't say, like, oh, i got to find some people who really kind of know at least this much before I can really ask them to follow. He walks up to fishermen. Guys, fishermen, like, if, if you wanted, like, a, a, a common, like, right now modern understanding of a fisherman, probably, like, if you think of, like, the hard and tough guys, maybe, like, the guys who ride the Harleys and they have, like, the, the, the leather jackets on and they're just kind of rough and tough and their voices are kind of like scratchy because they're chain smokers and you know like just you're kind of scared to talk to them maybe a little bit that's probably what the fishermen were like Jesus boldly just out of his own authority says hey be my follower imagine Jesus right now is asking you to be his follower. He's not saying be my cheerleader. He's not saying be, be a walking, talking encyclopedia about me. But he says be my follower. Can I, can I tell you guys something? That following Jesus entails a little bit of risk. A little faith has to be kind of taken about this guy. I mean, listen, what are they leaving behind? And they, 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 don't, they didn't ask a bunch of questions. Okay, before I really follow you, um, do we get paid? Is it a paid gig? Are, are, are we going to have enough food? 
hey, like, if I'm going to be your follower, like, is there, like, is there, like, a, just, like, during my teenage years, and then after that, I can kind of go do whatever I want? Is that how, is that how it works? How about us? Do we follow Jesus? When we think about the things that we follow in our life, maybe you follow people on Instagram or Twitter. Maybe you follow people. Maybe there, there are people in your life who just have, like, in your mind, the, the definition of success. You're like, man, I want to be like that person. They got an awesome family. He's got a good job. He's super nice and funny. Like, man, that's the, that's the image of someone I want to be like. Maybe it's some dream or desire for success that we're following. Like, man, I just got to do really good in school. I got to do all the, the extra stuff. I, I got to make sure I get good grades. I got to study for the SATs or the ACTs, whatever it is for you. And man, I, I just got to, I got to chase. I got to follow my dreams of being successful. Here's a question that I think Mark is trying to raise for you, for you as a freshman in high school. As a sophomore, junior, senior high school, do you follow Jesus? Are we ever guilty of just maybe talking about Jesus? Maybe thinking that we follow Jesus, but really we kind of just talking. Are we ever guilty of just maybe we just sing songs about Jesus? I'm not doubting that at times we've had maybe moments of inspiration where we've looked at Jesus and we've really kind of like been in love with what he's done for us. But are, are you a follower? Do you actually, when you look at your life, do you actually see someone who is not just following the movement of Jesus, not just following the good train that Jesus brings through his bride, the church, but do you follow him? Jesus doesn't say follow follow the youth group that will one day happen in Hope Community Church in 2,000 years. Follow, Follow this great movement. No, follow me. Follow me. Jesus isn't asking us to be like his disciples here in the boat. You know why? Because he's not asking us to follow him around in ancient Palestine and walk in his steps. What is he asking you to follow? He's asking you to begin the process of walking in his ways. That we would learn to follow, listen, listen. Following Jesus means that we would learn to follow the heart of Jesus. we would love what he loves, that we would hate what he hates. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Not that I would find my own 12 little people and they make my disciples that. No, that we would follow his heart. Second point, the second call of a disciple is this. It is a call to sacrifice and to suffer. Let me say that again in case you missed it. The second call that Jesus gives his disciples is a call to sacrifice and to suffer. Did you, did you know that when, when Jesus is calling you to himself, that he's calling you to have a life of suffering? That he might ask you to give up things that you don't want to give up? That he's asking you to, to make new allegiances? Did you know that when, when Jesus is calling you to believe in his gospel, that he's saying that if there is anything that you love greater than me... You need to stop. 
Do you know, do you realize when Jesus asked you as a student to follow him, he was asking you to love him more than your parents? To love him more than your future dreams? Well, look what it says. Look at, look at verse 17 with me. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So Jesus takes what they know. They know fishing, right? And Jesus says, listen, if you become my follower, I will teach you to make other people who can make other people, who can make other people to be fishers of men. Listen, the life to which Jesus calls his disciples requires a fundamental change of perspective. Listen, Jesus is not just saying, hey, follow me and your life's going to be great. Hey, come and be my follower, and, and you'll have heaven stamped away. So you can just kind of come to a church service once a week for the rest of your life, give some money, and life is great. Just follow me, and I'm going to do something with you. I'm going to put you to work. Follow me, and I'm going to make you become someone. And what is that person? A fisher of men. Listen, listen, guys. Jesus wants you to be his follower in order that he can make you become someone who's on mission with him. Like, what a great example. Prayer team, having this vision that we'd get up here, someone can get up here once a week and share, hey, this week I got an opportunity to try to be a fisherman. I try to be a disciple of Jesus. I try to follow him, you know, and I, and I share the gospel with my uncle at Thanksgiving table, and he made fun of me. He ridiculed me. He even started talking about my hair and all this different stuff, but you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus. And I shared the gospel with him anyways. And Jesus, listen, like, let me tell you what the heart, because right here we have the definition of a disciple. You guys ready for this? The definition of a disciple. Someone who follows Jesus. Someone who's being changed. And someone who's on mission for Jesus. You guys ready for this? The definition of a mature Christian is someone who has the things of God in mind rather than yourself. It is my desire that you guys would be so much more than church-going, good, moral Christians. But that you'd be disciples who learn to think of others, to think of the things of God before yourself. Do you know what that looks like practically? It means that you begin to see other people and you think, how can I help that person become a follower of Jesus? How can, I, how can I talk to my friend Tim who doesn't know the Lord? How can, I, how can I pray for my unbelieving parents? See, it begins to shift. Our perspective begins to shift when we become followers of Jesus. We begin to say, I want to follow the heart and the passion of Jesus. What's the heart and passion of Jesus? People. And you know what? I'm going to stop thinking about myself. I'm going to begin, to, as a follower of Jesus, it's a slow, steady climb. You'll see the disciples, they fail a lot over and over and over and over again. But guess what? They continue to grow to where they begin to see the things of God before they see themselves. Jesus tells the disciples, hey, hey, you want to follow me? Great. Guess what? Um, following me, I'm going to do something with you. And what's that thing? I'm going to make you become people who fish for other people. Like, guys, this is Mark chapter 1. 
And somehow Christians forgot Mark chapter 1. Like, can I just tell you something? The Christian life does not end with just you and your own little individual bubble with God. Why do we do all this every week? Why do we go to church? Let me ask you guys a question. Is church the end? Is that why God came and died for us and saved us? I mean, part of it, yeah. So we can have a relationship with him. But we come here to be encouraged and to be challenged and to be strengthened and to be reminded that we are disciples. And what do disciples do? They're fishers of men. They learn to care about others. They learn to think about how can I help so-and-so become a follower as well. The goal of a follower of Jesus, as we'll see in the Gospel of Mark, is this very thing. It is not to be served, but rather to serve. So Jesus, by his authority, asked people to follow him. I love the example here. It says they immediately left their nets and followed him. Do you see what they had to sacrifice? That's their livelihood, right? They, they are sacrificing their dream of being the best fisherman in the Sea of Galilee. He's like, yo, man, I just figured out my best technique of getting, like, the deep, you know, water fish, right? Like, I've I, I, I been waiting my whole life to finally have my own fishing boat. Hey, that Jesus guy walking towards us. Is he going to come talk to us? Is he looking at you? Is he looking at me? I think he's going he's to say something. Hey, come and follow me. They had a good career. We know that Peter, you know, he had a family. Just drop it. Follow him. You know, even more than that, like uh, verse 20, immediately Jesus called these other two brothers and they left their father Zebedee. Let me tell you, having a family and having a career are never bad things. But this is the point that Mark's trying to make, that you must care and love more about the mission of Jesus than your family or your job. That being a follower of Jesus is more important than any other relationship. Not to say that relationship's awesome. It's okay. Not to say that other relationships aren't important. But Jesus is the most important. Last thing I'll say. These disciples of Jesus, uh, according to church history, every single one of them died for being a follower of Jesus. Every single one of them. How do I say that? I don't know about you, but I'll tell you the truth. I don't think I'm willing to die for something that I fully don't believe in. Can, any, can anyone die for a lie? These disciples took a risk of faith. They say, I'm going to follow this Jesus. And through this whole transformation process, they went and they changed the world by preaching the gospel. And every single one of them counted the cost and they died for this Jesus. They followed him until they were willing to suffer. They were willing to sacrifice They're willing to give up the most important things in their life for this mission. Are you? Are you, when you look at this Jesus, is he enough to say, you know what, I I am willing to suffer and sacrifice. Maybe not in the same way as the disciples, but, you know, at times, it is uncomfortable 
to be a Christian. That's cool. You know, at times when, when everyone says this is right and this is normal, but Jesus says it isn't, it, it is kind of hard. I don't want to give that up. I'll be honest, there's a lot of TV and a lot of movies that I would love to watch. I don't feel like I should. Why follow Jesus, guys? Why, why, why give up your comfort and your dreams? Why give up all of your other allegiances for this Jesus? I tell you, because he's the beloved son of God. Because he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Because he has the words of eternal life. Because he has the authority to. Because he is the creator of everything seen and unseen. And let me just say really quick. Some of you here, Jesus is asking you, hey, drop your nets, come and follow me. And you're doing one of these things where you're kind of, you're holding on to your nets, you're holding on to your dreams, you're holding on to your relationships, and you're kind of like, you know, you look really good some days, Jesus. And I kind of want to follow you, but man, I got this stuff over here. I got this, this boyfriend, this girlfriend, I got this dreams of being really awesome one day. I really kind of like the way I live. And we're not really sure whether or not we should fully invest. We're kind of one foot in, one foot out. Some of you have both hands on the nets. And for the first time, you're seeing this Jesus and he's saying, Hey, drop it all aside. Come follow me. Maybe you don't have all the answers yet. Maybe you, don't, maybe you have big questions to ask Jesus and to figure out. But look at these disciples. They didn't ask questions. They just, all right, I'm going to drop these nets. I'm going to come and follow. But all of us at times, we want to grab the net of success. We want to grab the net of, I just want to be really liked and have fun. And I want to go to college. And I want to make a lot of money. And I want this person to notice me. We just grab net after net after net, and we follow them instead of Jesus. I think I've done this illustration before, and I saw it a long time ago, but do me a favor. Why don't you, can you just look at your hands for a second? I don't know about you, but I have these, like, two really big lines in my hands. Do you guys have those as well? Kind of like they run through the middle of your hands. You guys have those? Those are big. Yeah, yes or no? Uh, I'm going to get a little allegorical on you for a second, but you know what? Listen, um, I think those are scars from all the nets that we carry around in life. Oh, just look at them. Just look at your hands. Just kind of observe them. Kind of feel those grooves in your hands. And this is what I, this is what I think um, what Jesus is asking you to do, is that you just turn over your hands and you just drop those nets. You don't have to do it right now. But just to, just to consider, Jesus is asking us to follow him. To not have a parade, not, not to, to follow his movement, but, but to follow him. And some of you, listen, I think, Jesus, I'll follow you, but I, I'm keeping this. Jesus, I'll follow you, but I, I, I really don't want you to touch this part of my life. And this is what I think. Why don't you guys bow your heads? You can take a minute just to think about this. And just consider, what are the things, what are the nets in your life that you're holding on to that you don't want to let go? 
And then in a few minutes, we'll sing another song, and we'll talk about this in small groups. But, but why don't we just take a minute and just in, and talk to Jesus and ask him what nuts we need to drop.